Smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver Billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer Put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game And I put it in my testimony Alright, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Free agency is only three, maybe, I guess, four days away. I guess the, the floodgates open up at um, 6 p.m. or what is it, 5 p.m. Central Time on June 30th. I can't remember exactly, but they modified that. So all of the uh, free agency news wouldn't be coming out right at midnight and people wouldn't have to stay up. Um, it still kind of ends up uh, subsequently being a night to stay up for. If you remember a few years ago, Paul Leonard, not Paul Leonard, Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, both ended up going to the Clippers where that news was essentially announced at like 2 a.m. Uh, of July 1st the next day, even though free agency had opened up earlier. So it's always a time to stay, you know, tuned in, uh, plugged in and dialed in. But um, all the, you know, sort of background workings of free agency and uh, the inner workings that nobody's hearing about because of the collective bargaining agreement that's still currently under place in the NBA, which has very, very stringent protocols in regards to um, there being no communication uh, in regards, you know, in regards to contracts or anything before uh, July 1st, even though that we know that that still persists. Um, in basically almost all applicable cases. Um, but besides that, um, you know, everything will officially come to the forefront uh, here in a few days. And, and me and Jaron are going to be on top of all the mass free agency coverage for you guys. But obviously, you know, we wrapped up our, our draft coverage the other night. Uh, it was really exciting. You guys can go check everything out. We have the live stream posted uh, up on our Twitter, as well as our YouTube, um, as well as our post-draft pod, our uh, sort of immediate reaction to what the Mavericks did, uh, tr- you know, trading with the Kings to get the 24th pick, um, you know, in route to uh, taking on Rashawn Holmes' expiring contract, um, and also, of course, trading back from 10 to 12, and then, you know, shedding off of Davis Berton's salary, and then selecting Derek Lively at number 12. And of course, at you know number twenty four, they got Olivier Maxence Prosper, and even after the draft, they made a couple moves, getting one of the more coveted undrafted free agents in this class, and Mike Miles Jr., homegrown guy out of TCU, also getting Conference USA Player of the Year, um, five foot eleven guard out of UAB, Jordan Walker. So you know they're they're out here already building a summer league god squad, but um, in the instance of you know. Prosper and Lively, these are two guys that, you know, could be, uh, you know, ready, you know, sort of tried and true rotation players at the start of next year if everything goes right. So uh, we're obviously going to put, you know, a a bit more of a spotlight on them and and really dissect, um, you know, their games. Me and Jaron will talk a little bit about Derek Lively's role and stuff like that today. Um, And and just kind of how we project these guys. We, you know, obviously already did the Derek Lively profile because he was in the range um, that the Mavericks were selecting in pre-draft. So you guys can go check that out. You know, we're, we're not going to dive too deep into 
who he is as a player um, so much, you know, we'll definitely cover it at a surface level. Um, but we do want you guys to go listen to that profile. If you want to find out more about that, um, you can find it, you know, a few podcasts down from this current one, I believe is maybe a week or two ago, Derek Lively draft profile. That'll give you really good insight into who this guy could become for the Mavericks. Um, what a lot of analysts and talking heads within the Dallas media, uh, you know, kind of pencil in that Tyson Chandler, 2.0 comparison. Go check that podcast out to you know f- find out why that is the case. Um, but in Olivier Maxens Prosper's uh, case, Jaron and I obviously didn't have um, you know too much of an opportunity to do more than mention his name and kind of you know just give sort of a brief uh, sort of introductory as to who he is as a player uh, in one of our pre-draft podcasts where we kind of talked about the Mavericks Mavericks option options if they were to trade back. And obviously he wasn't really in that uh, sort of 10 to 15 range that, you know, immediate range that we thought they may trade back in, you know, potentially with the Hawks or some other team. Uh, he he was a much, much kind of further along in the draft. So um, we will be doing a full fledged uh, player profile on him, uh, dissecting his game, you know, offensively, defensively talking about NBA comps and, you know, also putting a pretty big highlight on his role. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the, you know, two-way signing of Mike Miles Jr. We don't know who's going to be on the other two-way spot for the Mavericks as of yet. Of course, last year to end the season ended up being McKinley Wright the fourth and AJ Lawson. Um, we don't know if it's going to be a scenario here where one of those guys returns as a two-way, or you know they they get upgraded to a main roster spot, or if any of those guys don't come back. It's going to be interesting to see for sure but we do know you know mike miles does have that one two-way filled up unless something is to go haywire um you know here in summer league and uh training camp so definitely try to dive into him a little bit jaron watched a lot of big 12 basketball last year so he um will definitely uh be a little bit more well-versed in that dude than i am um but jordan walker is a guy that we kind of need to to dive into a little bit more but we'll talk a little bit about his game as well today um of course you know a smaller um, sort of guard that, you know, has that sort of Trey Young, Steph Curry-esque kind of play style to him to where, you know, he, he's a real punisher from outside. And, you know, he, you know, unlike McKinley Wright, a guy who's also that size, um, this guy definitely epitomizes the, you know, having to have a really good outside shot given his size. You know, he, he understands that that's going to be something he has to have in his toolbox, you know, given his his height and stuff. And, you know, the Mavericks are kind of running thin on, on guards right now, um, you know, outside of Luca and Kyrie and, ter- you know, in terms of, you know, those, those playmaking types, obviously Jaden Hardy is a good shot creator, but the playmaking still kind of has some, some ways to go. So um, to see if any of those guys, you know, sort of s- s- slip through the cracks this season and end up contributing to the rotation at all, would be interesting. But I, I believe Jordan Walker, as of right now, as it stands, is just kind of a training camp invite exhibit 10 guy. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely going to need to see more in summer league before we get anything definitive on them. And we won't be doing like full fledged player profiles for those guys, but, you know, after summer league, when we have a more definite understanding of their sort of spot on the team, we, we definitely will be doing player profiles for them. And, you know, even so, we'll we'll definitely try to at least get into their games a little bit more than, um, you know, just at a at a surface level. But that you know, obviously, we'll, we'll go over all that sort of stuff, and we'll sort of have a quick debrief at the end over some of the quotes from yesterday's 
um, post-draft introductory press conference where the Mavericks introduced, um, you know, Olivier Maxence Prosper, of course, and Derek Lively. It wasn't the most uh, fruitful interview. Uh, definitely one that um, was very exciting, though, and, and up the ante for these guys, uh, as well as the anticipation for when they get to Dallas. Um, but surprisingly, I mean, this, despite how young they are, these are you know two very high character guys seem very well, well vetted in the interview process. So, you know, there wasn't really too much room for discussion, uh, on any, you know, sort of answers that they gave or any even sketch answers for that matter. So, um, there's not really a whole lot to dissect, you know, except from the hype and excitement, you know, part of things, which we'll definitely get into because it, you know, it is an exciting time. Um, and besides that, um, that that'll kind of uh, do it for today. Uh, we'll also have another podcast coming out later to kind of wrap up a lot of the free agency rumors. Uh, trust me, we are not neglecting this whole sort of, uh, you know, Mavs almost trading for DeAndre Ayton saga. We'll be divulging into that as well as some other rumors that have sort of, uh, you know, kind of came out of the canister the last few days uh, that the Mavericks have kind of been thrown around in. They've definitely, I feel like, been in a lot more leaks than the last year or two. So, um, it's a uh, it's the best time of the year. Um, we should have the um, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, Christmas music going right now, but um, unfortunately, you know, the the Fourth of July is um upcoming. Jaron, um, how how did the Fourth of July how did the Fourth of July and basketball sort of go together around this time of year? Jaron, is is it an exciting time? Yeah, I mean, Fourth of July uh, involves fireworks, barbecues, uh, you know meeting some cool people and uh, similar to basketball and, you know, the July 1st, or I guess June 30th this year, uh, start date for free agency. You know, we're going to be meeting some new players, a lot of fireworks, uh, having hopefully some fireworks with some yeah. trades and uh, we're going to be eating, eating good. Cause we're going to be celebrating all the guys we're getting in. So that that's, that's the whole, uh, yeah. I guess, direct correlation between the two. Yes. I mean, I, I can go on for hours, um, you know, in our intro here, but I think Jaron has the uh, perfect way to sort of sum up everything. So, um, we're just going to go ahead and uh, forward here to the uh, ad break. Um, this is going to be an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters, and we will catch you guys after the break. All right, Jaron. So obviously already from the sort of post-draft process with all the interviews and everything, um, as well as the press conference, Olivier Maxence Prosper or Omax, as he's uh, more you know easily or favorably called, um, is already see- seemingly, uh, you know, a fan favorite. Uh, he's pretty beloved by friend, uh, by fans and uh, and teammates alike. It seems even from his time at Marquette, seems like a great locker room guy. Very high ca- uh, character, very high charisma. Jaron, what are the Mavericks getting in this individual here? Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, I think uh, early March uh, is one of the big, or not the Big Twelve. Um, the uh the big, big east i think is what their conference the big is called. East, yeah my bad yeah, yeah the big east uh yeah it's whenever their salt. conference tournament yeah <laughs> that's whenever their conference tournament was going on and nico harrison and other maps executives of course went to that uh tournament looking for you know guys that would possibly be on the undrafted market board uh and he was one of the guys that kind of stood out to them now slowly and you know surely he built up his draft sort of uh, i guess stock um and over those last you know few weeks leading up to the pre-draft process uh he quickly became a first round pick. Um, I think, you know, once the Mavericks saw that, uh, you know, pretty much it was a lock. And I think, you know, personally, that's that's just a, a sort of only kind of, I guess, a description of the character. I mean, he's a guy who's going to work hard, uh, come in there day one, probably 
become a defining figure in that locker room like we've already seen him become with the fans. Um, you know, he's quickly risen up my likable Mavs guys. Uh, you know, I I don't really know where he is on that list, but he's quickly rising up that list. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, he's a, a high character guy, uh, only 20 years old at the current moment. He's going to turn, I think in six days, he's going to be 21. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, he's a, a work hard, a hardworking guy, high motor. Um, he does all the intangibles, right? That's kind of how he marketed himself. And that pre-draft process was a guy who, uh, would go in there, get the rebounds, get the hard effort plays, uh, you know, dive on the floor for the extra balls. Uh, he was going to be the guys that were, you know, the hard nosed, uh, defensive minded kind of guy. And, you know, that's a guy that the, the Mavericks really do need. Uh, I mean, I think he's standing at six foot eight with shoes on. So basically six foot eight, whenever he's on the court, uh, with a seven foot one or seven foot three wingspan, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, seven foot one. Yeah. Seven foot one. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a lengthy guy, something that the Mavericks do need as well. Uh, and very, very defensive minded, as I said earlier, you know, very good length, uh, makes him very guardable two through four, pretty much. Uh, I mean, if you really want to, if he could build up some muscle, maybe a five, not really, but uh, there's a possibility of that. Um, you know, there is a lot of raw potential there, you know, especially on the offensive side of things, but defensively, you know, you know what you're going to get. Um, and in the big East, I mean, he, he guarded the top of the top guys, Jordan Hawkins, uh, Colby Jones. Uh, I mean, there's a few other guys that I'm missing here. Cam Whitmore uh, and limited to them to some very, very, you know, sort of good numbers uh, i mean i think kim whitmore was like three for 14 uh and jordan hawkins was like five for 16 or five for 17 uh whenever they played yukon and uh, villanova of course and you know those are very two high you know remarking guys especially on the offensive end um he was the primary ball defender on those guys and you know limited them to of course those numbers uh so i you know i think that we are going to get a very defensive-minded guy which is what the mavericks of course needed um and very complimentary guys uh, I know that we're going to talk about Derek Lively a little bit more, uh, but not as much as we did in that uh, the player profile. So, um, you know, one of the things that they harped in the interview process was sort of, uh, you know, that these guys were going to be complimentary guys. You didn't need the ball in their hand uh, to sort of produce anything. So I think uh, putting them alongside, hopefully Kyrie and Luca uh, will definitely, you know, kind of produce and we'll, we'll see what they can be their rookie year. But uh, I mean, the blue, the blueprints there, uh, I think, uh, you know, there is a potential there that he could probably work his way up into a, a defining role. I, I know that we'll get into this a little bit later, but uh, I mean, the potential is there. So uh, I guess you'll carry on with uh, some of the more intangibles, but yeah, I mean, definitely defensive minded uh, from what I can see a very high character sort of individual. Yeah. This is a guy that was definitely a benefactor of the pre-draft process. As you mentioned, he had a really good NBA combine he tested in the top five of uh, both of the vertical jump categories, I believe, 36.5 um, inch um, standing vertical as well as a 40.5 inch running vertical. Um, obviously was able to bolster his stock up as well in the uh, some of those pre-draft interviews. Um, so he's very hardworking. I think he's definitely a guy that maybe, you know, was as low on some draft boards as he was just simply because he did play in the Big East last year. And, you know, he's sort of a late bloomer. Um, he's improved, you know, steadily from his freshman year at Clemson to where he then transferred to Marquette his sophomore year. Um, but by no means was he really being even coveted as an NBA draft prospect, uh, you know, going back a, a year or two ago. Um, you know, it, it was definitely something that he, you know, could manage, obviously. And he's obviously been able to make himself a, a first round pick pretty amazingly here, which, you know, really shows his work ethic and dedication, uh, you know, to just being 
more offensively and defensively savvy and sound. But, you know, this guy definitely even came into college a lot more raw than he is. And he's had to kind of work for everything that he's got. So uh, to see him have got to the place that he has, especially with, you know, the athletic toolbox and, um, you know, just some of his, his length and his size and everything like that. Um, it's very promising uh, just in terms of his potential. He's not as raw, I think, as some people would probably, you know, may may attest uh, in terms of how raw he is at first. I, I definitely think that he does have, you know, some of those um, and intangibles that that make him a little bit more unique, um, you know, from from that wing spot, you know, his ability to cut his ability to, um, you know, attack downhill really hard, uh, specifically, you know, either off closeouts or, you know, just the catch. Um, he, he's a really good finisher, absorbs contact really well. He, he's definitely not just one of those, you know, really rangy, law, you know, raw, lengthy prospects that, that doesn't have anything, um, you know, as far as offense or, you know, defensive strength goes uh, to his name. He, he does have um, a lot of different intricacies in his game that make him a really good player. Uh, but that being said, there are star, you know, still a lot of things that he's going to have to improve upon, especially to get to that next level. Um, you know, regarding his jump shot, just being more consistent with that. Uh, you know, on all levels, um, specifically, you know, as a spot up shooter from three. But that was something that you know he's shown steady improvement upon. Um, but definitely from the shot creation and and playmaking aspect, there there's a long ways to go there. I don't know if he'll ever you know, get there all the way, but he definitely has potential, you know, potential if he can keep the defensive intangibles up um, and hone in on his offense uh, even marginally to, to be a very, very good role player in this league. Uh, you know, it's a, a, a top end role player, um, and, you know, in terms of the high end of, of my trajectory for him. But uh, this guy, you know, as you guys obviously probably surmised once I said his vertical, is one of the better athletes in the draft. Um, he has great lateral quickness, great verticality, good at staying down a defensive uh, stance. Uh, this is a guy that, if things are to come into fruition for him, is going to have, you know, potentially the ability the ability to guard one through five. Now, you know, there are some issues guarding fives that, um, you know, adding strength and you know as well as, uh, you know, minimizing you know, mistakes. Um, when it guards, you know, when it comes to defensive discipline, especially on, you know, bigger guys and, um, you know, just being more locked in, things like that um, can definitely uh, increase his ability to do that. But, I mean, he can already guard two through four at a very high clip. I was hesitant to say that he's going to be able to guard one, ones comfortably at the NBA level just due to how fast they are coming off screens. And, you know, a lot of those – uh, you know, veteran and really good point guards in the Western Conference, you know, like a Dame Lillard or a Steph Curry, just being able to essentially rise up the second they come off a screen. He may have, you know, he may need to increase his lateral quickness from that aspect a little bit because at the college level, that's just not, you know, I, I just don't know if there's as much of a athletic difference there. Um, but he he is going to be, you know, a guy that has the ability to be a really good point of attack defender, uh, a guy that if he's able to, you know, hone in on that, you know, the disciplinary aspects of defense, like he kind of already has uh, to a certain extent in, in college, defending wings um, and, and bigger guards, 
uh, is is really going to be lethal from all areas. He's an extremely good on-ball defender. He has great length. He absorbs contact. He's, he's not really scared to shy away with it. You know, obviously, you know, Jaron and I kind of called him lengthy, um, but don't misconstrue that for him also being skinny because I think that those two have the, you know, ability to kind of get intertwined a little bit. He, you know, isn't definitely the most beefiest guy in the world. I'm not going to come out here and say that he's, you know, day one uh, prime Al Horford Horford, uh, in terms of how big he is and everything. Um, But he is a guy that is, you know, really, you know, he he does have some good lean muscle mass on him. He's not just a walking stick out there. You can definitely tell he's hit the weight room for sure a little bit in college. He's been listed as high as, as 230. Um, in, in some, you know, some profiles um, on his pre-draft. I don't know if that's kind of what he was during the season. Maybe kind of looked like he was a little bit bigger during the season, like he's kind of cut some weight since draft time. I don't know if maybe just, you know, really up in the ante in terms of, you know, getting in shape and, and things like that. But at the NBA Combine, he measured around like 212. Um, I, I believe that that's like without shoes and everything, though. So that's, you know, and I don't even know. It could have been like earlier in the day, too. So. I'd say uh, tentatively he's, you know, we he's a guy that I'd comfortably say is probably around 215 to 220, but, um, you know, he he might be a guy that, you know, was maybe high up as, as 230 last year at Marquette. And he's a guy that I think at the NBA level, you know, if he's able to get from where he's at right now in that 215 to 220 range to 230 to 235, um, but, you know, ensuring that a lot more of that is, is good weight, uh, compared to bad weight he's definitely a guy um that is is going to be even more tenacious than he already is on defense um he's great at closing the gap on defense uses his length extremely well he's a guy that if he kind of you know he he can stay with you for a whole possession but at the nba level there are very savvy ball handlers guys that you know can do some quick snatchback sort of moves um that are, are tough to stay with even in those instances, he, he closes the gap um, on the uh, on, on his closeouts, uh, even when he's playing one-on-one defense really well. He doesn't give up on plays. He hustles extremely hard. Um, you know, that's obviously a guy that you're always going to want, and especially, um, you know, with the the defensive, um, you know, toolbox that you're looking at here with his size. Any any NBA team could, could use a guy like this. He's very light on his feet for his size. Um, I, I would say he's probably faster and quicker than a lot of wings his size. Um, even at the NBA level, he has, you know, he, he just stays kind of on the on the balls of his of his feet. Uh, you know, stays on his toes. Doesn't he doesn't really get out of position. He's down in defensive stance. He has, you know, good fund- fundamentals defensively. Um, he, he's very, you know, gives you really consistent effort on defense too. Um, like I said, he doesn't really take plays off. I obviously pointed towards a few like disciplinary uh, things that he can fix uh, defensively, but it, it's definitely not as a result of taking plays off or just not giving effort. Um, you know, it, it's more so just learning the intricacies of the game. Um, and I, I mean, he's definitely one of the better defenders in the draft. Uh, I'd be hesitant to call him the best defender in the draft because there's some you know, pretty damn good defenders in this draft. Um, but I would say, you know, both of these guys and Olivier Maxence Prosper, as well as Derek Lively are, are, you know, two of the more highly tied defensive prospects 
in the draft at the wing and big position, something the Mavericks sorely needed uh, to get two guys, you know, especially a guy in Max Sense Prosper, who I think was, you know, definitely, you know, could, you know, pining out uh, to be more of a steal at the end of the day, uh, just due to, you know, some of the variables I talked about earlier that kind of may have slated him where he did um, in terms of being in that um, sort of, you know, end of first round area. He's definitely a guy that we could be looking back at uh, a few years from now um, as a guy that, you know, should have went way higher, especially given, you know, the attitude, the charisma, the character of this guy. Um, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a dull moment with him. He seems like he's going to come in and work and, and, and do everything to bolster, you know, the excitement of his teammates um, and, and try to get them to work as well. So all those things definitely bode well in terms of, you know, me thinking that he's going to be able to be a guy that can develop into something better uh, offensively, but that's going to be his, his big drawing point of course is, is getting better offensively. So Jaron, you know, we obviously talked about the immense defensive potential of, you know, Olivia here. He's obviously a guy, I think even at the NBA level, it's going to be able to come in and guard two through four um, automatically. And then, you know, ones and fives, I would say uh, sort of, you know, just kind of dependent on the matchup, you know, maybe, if it's Steph Curry, then, you know, obviously there's not many guys at all that can even hinder him. So, you know, guys like that are like Jokic's or Embiid's. He's he's going to have a lot more trouble dealing with, you know, a, a certain point guard or center just kind of dependent on who they are. But, I mean, nonetheless, he, he, you know, in terms of your baseline, you know, level backup point guard like a Tyus Jones, for instance, um, you know, a, a pretty good player. I, I have confidence that he can defend a guy like that. Um, and that's what makes um, this guy so versatile, so special. So, Jaron, what do you what do you think that he can improve on offensively to you know to really round out his game holistically? And what is he already good at offensively that maybe some people um, really don't know about? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got a very a comfortable jump shot. I would say, uh, you know, something that needs to be worked on a little bit more. It, it kind of seems like his offensive game is there. Um, to speak up to your your sort of like rawness. Uh, what you pointed out like he's not as raw as anyone thinks but he still has some raw tangibles uh, which mainly do fall on the offensive side of the ball Um, you know his catch and shoot ability it's there you can see the blueprint there you know the mechanics are very well uh, put together it kind of seemed like he has built together or put together quite a little jump shot there you know one that he's comfortable with Um, so I don't think there's going to be a total reconstruction of a jump shot or anything uh, in terms of him at least anytime soon from what I can see but um, definitely more of a consistency problem is his deal. Uh, you know, I think he shot 33% from three last year, uh, at Marquette, which wasn't terrible. Um, but on catch and shoot threes, I think it was another like 35%. So n- numbers that need to be improved. Um, but definitely, you know, the blueprint and the sort of, uh, I guess, foundation is already there. Um, he's got a very, very quick first step off the catch. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that he said this sort of, uh, I guess throughout the interviews, but he's going to attack the paint. Um, I mean, he loves to attack the paint. The only problem is he has very one-dimensional moves. Uh, he likes to go to his weak side spin uh, a lot of the time. And with that, he likes to go with the jump hook. Um, you know, it doesn't work all the time. If he could get that jump hook down or go up even a little stronger to the basket, uh, you know, that would be something that at his very peak, uh, the, maybe his second year in the league, I think I could see him averaging probably uh, 12 to 15 points a game because if he can get that down, uh, I mean, that would make him one of the more versatile players on this roster already. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he likes to go to that weak side jumper, that weak side hook. 
Um, and like I said, you know, he likes to attack the paint with that first step. He's got a very quick first step. Now, in doing so, um, as I mentioned with his jump shot, consistency is a big thing. Um, he hesitated a little bit too much, uh, you know, when deciding whether to shoot or what, whether to attack the basket, um, which is something that at the pro level, you know, is going to be definitely more, I guess, damaging um, than, you know, the at the collegiate level. Uh, so that's something that he's got to get rounded out, which I think throughout his rookie year, he'll definitely find a rhythm or find a, a sort of, um, I guess, you know, habit of doing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, just going up stronger with the basket, that's something that I think he needs to get a little better with, uh, especially for what role we think he's going to be, uh, and with, you know, what kind of moves he likes to attack the basket with these, this is a guy that could go to the basket very strong. Now he has some very, very, uh, I guess, strong finishes at the collegiate level. He has multiple posters that, I mean, you look at it and you're like, if he could, if he could contribute this to the NBA, he would definitely be on the, you know, top 100 dunks, uh, of the season sort of list. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, outside of that, I think he's just got to be more consistent at those sort of things. Um, you know, there's really not something that you can point at as being a, a super negative, uh, from what role we think he's going to play. You know, he doesn't need to be a ball handler. He doesn't need to be a, a dribbler anything like that. He doesn't really need to even be a ball ma- uh, or sorry, a playmaker, um, with what sort of role we think he's going to be given. So, you know, we don't really need to expect him to, uh, you know, be amazing at these things. Now, you know, he does have to have a foundation of all those things that I just listed, uh, which he does at the collegiate level. But, you know, I, I think that that's something that, you know, coming into his rookie season, we're not going to expect him to be, um, you know, amazing at, like I said. So I, I think, you know, offensively, it's much more raw compared to his defensive intangibles, as you listed before. Uh, but the foundations are there. The blueprints are there, as I said before. Um, and yeah, I mean, he could be a, a very good catch and shoot guy. I mean, I think uh, combining defense and hopefully his offense contributes to the professional level, but he could be a better wing than, you know, he could be the best wing on the roster right now. I, I mean, uh, Reggie had such a decline from last year that I don't think that's something that, you know, some people should pop their eyes at it saying. I, I think that's probably a very real statement. Um, you know, depending on what we do in free agency, we could be, also. De- I would also say I'd push back that it would also kind of depend on if you view Josh Green as more of a winger guard. Uh, yeah, I view I view him more as a, a two guard or a three that can handle the ball. I don't view him as a strict wing. I, st- I view our strict wings as Reggie and now Omax. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Omax has the ability to leap over Reggie in terms of minutes or even role um, on this roster. So you know, it, it's going to be some interesting things to see. But you know offensively like i said there's things that need to be worked around uh but the foundation uh and the blueprint like i said a million times now is there he's got a very good mechanical jump shot um a very quick first step just needs to be more consistent better decision making um you know and i think everything kind of will come align uh with sort of i guess everything will align uh everything you know his negatives or whatever they'll align uh, and, you know, we'll see throughout his rookie season. I think that we'll, we'll learn a lot through summer league uh, because again, you know, this is a guy that up until he was pretty much drafted by the Mavericks, he was kind of under our radar. Um, so I know that me and me, you, me and Will will probably learn a lot um, about what this player could be at the summer league level. But I, I mean, like I said, you know, he's, uh, I mean, everything's good. Uh, he's a good shooter for what he is. Uh, I, I think he shot 70% from the free throw line or somewhere around there. It was in the uh, last 70s. season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So low 70s. And, you know, that's a very indicative number of, you know, sort of uh, true shooting, quote for quote. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to get a guy, like I said, who's uh, going to be very conducive to a role. Um, but he's comfortable in doing that. that that's kind of what we sort of heard 
um, through that pre-draft process and through that interview process that we just listened to yesterday. Um, now we'll get more into ceiling and floor and things like that and what he could be. Uh, but at least right now through his rookie season, I think he's going to be much more role indicative uh, or I guess conduced. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a guy uh, whenever we drafted him, I thought that he would be kind of a G league guy in and out uh, sort of what Jaden Hardy was last year where he'd kind of bloom late in the season. But now I'm looking at it and especially with how this roster is currently uh, granted this, we're filming this on July 27, uh, June 27th, uh, which is three days prior to free agency. So we don't know what we're going to be doing here. Um, but pre free agency, this guy, I mean, he could be maybe not starter, uh, but he could be a guy who who's for sure coming off the bench and producing big numbers for the Mavericks. Yeah. It's, it's definitely gonna just depend on how ready made he is day one. And like, you know, Jaron and I have sort of talked about some of these intangibles, you know, definitely would kind of hint at him being a guy that could, you know, be an established guy at the end of a bench or, you know, be a ninth man in a rotation, on a decent team, you know, day one. Right. Um, but some of these um, things, you know, just depending on how some of these swing factors, um, I guess, end up swinging at the pro level uh, will, will kind of affect how much of an immediate impact he can have day one as a rookie. Uh, you know, maybe a few more things if we want to get into it uh, that we just didn't kind of really get to hit the nail on the head here um, just in terms of, you know, his, his game last year before we get into comparisons and stuff like that. Um, his, his off ball defense is also extremely good. Um, there were, you know, matchups specifically when, you know, in that Marquette, uh, Marquette defense that he kind of had to play the five or, you know, he was one of the, you know, bigger guys out there next to only one other big, um, which was a lot of the time where, you know, he had to rotate over as the low man and uh, have to try and guard the rim. And he did experience some trouble with that despite his length and how pestering he is. He only had five blocks on the entire season, something for a guy of his caliber. Um, that's, that's definitely need, you know, going to need to increase the, the defensive, you know, quickness, the, the defensive intangibles are all there, but maybe just, you know, having a little bit of a finishing aspect on defense in the same vein that, he kind of does on offense when he's dunking over people, uh, you know, to, to finish some plays a little bit harder. Also just adding strength, you know, he honestly, you know, I, he was kind of slow to react a, a couple times when having to rotate over as a low man and, and, def- and defend the rim against guys that are, you know, coming downhill at him. But of course that's not, you know, essentially his, his natural identity anyway. So that's something that he'll definitely have a lot of time to improve upon at the NBA level. Cause you know, especially if he adds a little bit of strength, he'll definitely have the size to do that on occasion, just kind of depending on who it is. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he can actually develop upon that and, you know, make that a, a tangible skill going forward. In regards to his jump shot, you know, as Jaron talked about, though, I mean, uh, that the process is there. He has a really good high release point. He's improved his mechanics a ton since he first came in uh, to the collegiate level, you know, playing at Clemson that freshman year. And, you know, Numbers aside, he he did shoot a fairly high volume of threes last year. Um, shot one of the most amount of threes on that uh, Marquette squad, and I think he has potential to be a very good spot up shooter, especially as he develops. He's a guy that you know maybe you know growing up just because of his length and the awkwardness probably with how long his arms are that maybe have hindered his jump shot going forward. But he's definitely figuring things out. His process is really good and. The good thing um, about a lot of his misses is that they were very fixable. 
you could tell that he kind of, uh, you know, didn't really capitalize on his follow through. He sort of um, maybe pushed the ball with his thumb a little bit and um, also didn't get his legs into a shot and a lot of his misses. And that is uh, extremely encouraging um, in, in terms of how that's going to be able to project with his jump shot. As Jaron also said, you know, he's a great finisher coming downhill. He does have those moments where he gets the ball on the wing, sort of hesitates, doesn't know if he's going to shoot or drive. But, you know, there were a few draft profiles that he didn't have the best first step. And I think that they were specifically kind of referencing that. But he does have, in my opinion, a really fast first step. And he can honestly even make it a little bit better if he elongates it a little bit more and is just more directionally sound instead of, you know, kind of wasting space going to the side at all. Um, but when he gets going, he does have very long strides when he runs in transition, runs really hard, and, you know, he can finish over the top of people. Um, I wouldn't say that he's the most savvy finisher um, in terms of having a variety of moves that he's able to kind of go to. He, he's not a guy that's, you know, busting out the seams with Euroceps and, uh, and, and, and jellies off the backboard, you know, um, from under the rim. He, he's not going to you know, possess a whole lot of suave to his finishing, but uh, it's very contact based. He was very hard downhill into people. He's not an easy uh, sort of specimen to stop. And I mean, he finishes well through contact. He has a really good touch around the basket. So I think that that's definitely something um, at the NBA level that he can improve upon a little bit in terms of being a little bit more dynamic, uh, especially with how strong some guys are, uh, you know, with the rim protectors in the NBA, he may not be able to finish over the top of them always. Um, but that is definitely, you know, going to be something that I, I don't think is going to be too much of a, uh, you know, improvement point. I think it's something that, you know, will come in fairly naturally and, you know, best of all, he's a great cutter, um, showed great instincts on backdoor and 45 cuts specifically, um, just really savvy. Even when there's not a play drawn up, he just understands his own offensive spacing very well, um, and knows when to cut a lot of end of the shot clock cuts, so uh, he's a guy that can alleviate a lot of pressure from that perspective. Um, you know, as big as he is, you would also kind of hope that he's a better rebounder. He does have, you know, instances where he kind of gets himself a little bit out of position. He had about five rebounds a game last year, but he hasn't really, you know, had an opportunity to showcase that, you know, his his first two collegiate years where he didn't really play as much. So that'll be interesting to see if it'll evolve going forward, especially if he adds some size to him. It, it could definitely um be something where he he's able to add a lot from that perspective because he has the size and the intangibles to be a really good rebounder on both sides of the ball and you know kind of like what i talked about um when i said he was a really good off-ball defender i mean he's a guy that can switch on anybody he um almost you know takes on mismatch it you know if it's a mismatch with a guard or a center um he doesn't shy away from it in any capacity he almost takes it on as a challenge um, he switches on the screens on the guards really fast, tries to, you know, almost poke the ball away the second they get it to, um, you know, just make it a even more difficult possession. See if he can do something, you know, is really rotationally sound is not going to be a guy that's getting caught up, um, you know, uh, lost in space a lot uh, is a good screen navigator, both on and off ball. And uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you do get really just the 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 full sort of compliments, you know, of a, of the modern um, NBA wing, um, you know, lengthy defender who can defend multiple positions with this guy. And, you know, the only really knock I have on his defense, like I said, is maybe being able to get a little bit quicker laterally, 
at the pro level to defend some point guards and, um, you know, being uh, a little bit more disciplined, you know, really strictly uh, in terms of guarding uh, big men and, you know, rotating over as the low man. But he is a guy that is good at picking off passing lanes. And when we know when he, he's playing naturally at that wing spot, he's very comfortable as an off ball defender, um, a guy that closes out really hard. Not much knocks on his game um, from, you know, an intangible from a discipline aspect um, I'm there. So he, he, you know, he doesn't just have these, um, you know, this really good size and everything. He also um, has, you know, the intangibles as well, which is uh, definitely uh, a rare commodity for a player of, of his size. That's why these guys are so kind of coveted in the NBA, you know, the OG and Anobis of the world, guys like that. Right. Um, I mean, otherwise, you know, like Jaron and kind of aforementioned, there are a lot of things that he'll definitely need to improve on that aren't necessarily conducive to the position that he's going to play with the Mavericks. Uh, this is definitely going to be a guy that, you know, at, at the low end of things, maybe takes a little time to develop, uh, maybe, you know, spend some time in the G League that's kind of buried on the, you know, the back half of the roster. But, I mean, he projects, as, in my opinion, as a guy that could be inside that, you know, top eight, ten of the rotation day one. Uh, potentially move himself up a tick or two even uh, just depending on how good he plays this year. And, you know, he doesn't have to do some of these things that he was probably relied more a little heavily on, you know, at, at Marquette where um, he was essentially their best player. Um, you know, he can play a little bit more with inside a role. He's eager to do that um, in the, you know, post-draft interviews, um, you know, with Dallas media, he talked um, very, highly of Christian Braun and his time with the Nuggets last year and, you know, how he would like to be able to, you know, fill in and be that guy that can fill in certain stop gaps and, you know, be a sort of all encompassing utility player, do all the hard things, all the little things. So, you know, his teammates can prosper around him, um, you know, hence the last name prosper. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, yeah, no real, actually, you know, no, no pun intended. I, I know that sucked, but, um, this this guy definitely, um, you know, has what it takes to be, uh, you know, a, a tried and true role player for the Mavericks ne next year. And, you know, some of the things that he needs to improve a lot upon in his game aren't really detrimental uh, to him being a good role player in the league. They may be detrimental to how big his sort of star power potential is and how big, you know, maybe some of these swing factors uh, could end up, you know, you know, working out for him in terms of you know, how long his career ends up being or, and, and just how good he becomes. And, you know, that's mainly his playmaking and his shot creation. He averaged less than a, less than an assist per game. And every year that he was in college, um, you know, even on the catch, um, he wasn't necessarily the most dynamic guy at finding cutters coming downhill. He does get kind of tunnel vision to an extent. And in those one-on-one -on -one scenarios, you know, he's looking to use his size just to get to the basket. So, you know, being, being able to, you know, be a little bit more than just, you know, kind of a ball mover. Um, and also, um, you know, being safer with the ball, you know, especially from a ball handling aspect, he averaged 1.4 turnovers a game last year, which, you know, isn't a whole lot. Um, it is a little bit more amplified because it in, is in college and they only play 40 minutes, especially since he averaged more turnovers than assist. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of rawness from that perspective. And it's not something that we're necessarily expecting him to do. It's not like, you know, Josh Green, where it's a guy who, you know, is a little smaller and has to be a little bit more dynamic passing wise or, you know, 
could fill that role potentially. This is a guy that doesn't really need to do those things as much, uh, you know, as much as he kind of just needs to stick to his role, cut, and, and spot up as well as attack off closeouts. But um, if he can be a guy that, you know, uh, can attack off a closeout and be able to kick out to shooters on the wing uh, or find cutters coming downhill uh, at the bare minimum, you know, adding at least just a, you know, sort of pseudo playmaking aspect to his game uh, or a guy, you know, that at any point in his career is able to, you know, expand his dribble bag, uh, which albeit is fairly limited uh, more so than it already is, um, you know, add uh, different stop and go measures to that, um, you know, add a, a lot more dynamic dribbling and, and just in terms of like how fancy it is and, you know, his, and, you know, with that, you know, just being able to create space for guys um, and for, and for himself, um, he's, he's kind of slower when he tries to go to a between the legs or behind the back dribble at the point of attack when he's, you know, really trying to blow past the guy. I got stripped a few times. So, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's obviously going to be a huge improvement uh, point for him, but if he can hit upon that um, as well as the things that he's already good at, um, this is definitely, um, you know, a guy where the sky is kind of the limit. I would, you know, describe, you know, him to Mavs fans or or listeners of the podcast that maybe don't know too much about him, um, that maybe listen to some of our other draft profiles where, you know, we talked about some of the higher guys up in that range. I would say he's almost like, a, you know, a Bilal a Koulibaly uh, with, you know, maybe a little less potential. Uh, a little less ball handling potential, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, defensively um, and, and and just in terms of his intangibles and, you know, he even has some better size than Bilal. Um, he's, he's a guy that, you know, could end up, you know, being up there in that, in that same range where, um, you know, guys were picked seventh, even eighth in the draft um, are, were slated in terms of um, how, how good he is going forward. Um, when this all ends up panning out. So uh, immense potential, but there's a lot of swing factors that will um, that will really end up turning the tide of his career in terms of, you know, him being a fringe star to, you know, just just a role player. So I guess we'll go ahead and blow through these, uh, you know, comparisons really quickly. Jaron, um, I listed a few obviously right here. Did you have any in mind uh, that maybe weren't on this list or that, um, you know, if there's one that you were really thinking between any of the guys that I listed, um, that are, are most comparable to Omax. No, I think that you probably honestly covered it. Uh, I mean, if you want, I can go ahead and list them. Um, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Jaden I did think Ingram. of, uh, I did think of one other guy as the, uh, as the podcast was sort of going, but I, I may have just forgot him here. So stay tuned. Yeah. I, I thought of one other and then I kind of just forgot as what, so yeah. I was like, I, We'll go with it. Um, but yeah, I mean Jared Vanderbilt, the McDaniels brothers, and then uh sort of his his height, his ceiling would be a, a kind of a, a pseudo Jeremy Grant, in my opinion. So in your opinion, I mean that's what you listed. So yeah, no, that, that's that's what I put for a ceiling would be current day Jeremy Grant, especially if he could develop a you know sort of semblance of a mid-range jump shot and a post-up game, because he does tend to go, you know, to that a lot, but it's just not too consistent. He kind of shies away. Um you know, as good as he is from finishing through contact, he almost shies away from going to contact sometimes, which is interesting. So that if he, you know, he gets a lot better offensively, uh, he could definitely turn out to be that. And at the low end, I put, he'd kind of just be a really rangy wing off the bench. You can do some different things, but it's only kind of 
periodically or in flashes. Um, and it's just not consistent enough. And that, you know, at the low end, I said that he would be Haywood Highsmith. Haywood Highsmith obviously had a really good playoff run, but, you know, I, I'm more so kind of alluding towards his time in the regular season. So I kind of project him around there, um, you know, in terms of his floor or his ceiling. Um, you know, there are a couple other maybe NBA comparisons that that we can get into. Um, but barring that, um, that that's about what you're looking at with this player. And I mean, it, add current day Jeremy Grant to this Mavericks roster. And I mean, you know, look at the type of team that you're looking at in terms of, you know, how important this guy is and the sort of young core the Mavericks are building at the moment. Yeah, I honestly think that probably covers sort of what we could see or, you know, potentially what we could see. So, uh, I mean, I remember, my, the... I remember my other comparison from earlier. Oh, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, so I was going to say, I feel like if he taps into more of a, you know, if he ends up being a guy that's a little bit more sound, uh, you know, that's that can guard down and, you know, he really hones into his lateral quickness, um, I, I think that he could kind of end up you know, being an OG and an OB type, I don't know if he'll ever get that dynamic offensively, um, you know, with the the passing and, you know, his ability to attack, but I could see him, him kind of being a guy like that. Um, he's, you know, his offensive and defensive game is a little bit more predicated on speed. Um, but, you know, conversely, um, I could also see him kind of being like Jeremy Grant. So it, it's just kind of depend on where his career trajectory irons out but that's the sort of things that you're looking at the high end on the low end of course you know your average sort of lengthy role player off the bench like a Haywood Highsmith so yeah that's really all I got yeah I mean I think that probably covers you know that sense of things I guess just to sort of harp on his role a little bit more um you know I mean coming into his rookie season I like what you said where he could be kind of a guy coming off the bench doesn't necessarily play every game uh, or play the most minutes in a game, but he he would probably be an eight to 10 kind of rotational guy. Um, I could see him, like you said, spending some time in the G league. I don't think he's a guy that spends much time or even if any time at all, um, I, just depending on, you know, sort of what kind of development development needs he, he kind of gets into, but also probably um, like how many more wings, the Mavericks get this off. Yeah. Well, yeah, well. exactly. It, you know, depending on free agency, I, I think I t- touched on that a little bit whenever I was talking about his offensive game, but yeah, I mean, depending on free agency, uh, you know, it, it kind of depends on what sort of role he gets. But as of right now, like I said, in uh, June 27th, I, I, he's the second sort of wing that we have, uh, three slash four guy that we have. So, I mean, he's going to be a big minute kind of guy if we finalize the roster as of today, um, which, you know, of course, we don't expect that to happen. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, high potential uh, getting into his role, of course, our rookie year. I think he's kind of an eight to ten guy coming off the bench. Um, and you know, he could be sort of a, a spark plug kind of guy. I mean, we, you know, we don't really know what he's going to get because we don't know what this roster is going to look like. Um, but I, I mean, we can only make predictions. And to me, I think he's going to be like that Christian Brown sort of spark plug kind of player a guy who, you know, comes in, does the little things, right. Um, necessarily doesn't have the biggest impact offensively and or defensively, but, uh, you know, in terms of effort plays, um, you know, effort plays and I guess there's more defensive minded things like, you know, we're probably going to see him have his biggest impacts uh, on that side of the ball. Um, I mean, Will, do you think that that probably covers his role coming into the rookie season? Yeah, I mean, like I, on what the roster like I said, um, I, I think regardless of what ends up the Mavericks do with the roster, you know, whether he starts as a guy who is not even getting minutes at first or, you know, is kind of at the back half of the rotation or even a guy who, you know, is potentially even the seventh or eighth man. I, I do think that just depending on how fast his developmental track goes, I mean, he could definitely easily um, sort of, you know, stamp himself inside uh, the top 
echelon of the rotation, maybe not necessarily starting. I mean, you never know. He could start some games, but I could see this guy being a fringe starter uh, or, you know, one of the first few guys off the bench, you know, his rookie year, depending on how uh, some of those swing factors end up ironing out. But I just think that we need to, you know, have a healthy diagnosis in terms of our expectations for him. I don't think we should expect that, but at the high ends of things, uh, that that is where I could, you know, see him going even as far as next year, just given, um, you know, how savvy this guy is defensively, especially if the shot improves going into his rookie year. I don't know about you, um, if you think he can do that, you know, going into next year or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, I mean, assuming everything does go right, his developmental track is, uh, I guess, a lot less than what we think it's going to be. I mean, he could potentially be that. Uh, he could potentially be that sort of eight or seven men off the bench uh, and produce, you know, big time minutes in a big time playoff game. Uh, again, I mean, this is all speculation and, you know, we don't know what this roster is going to look like in four days from now, but, uh, or I guess three days from now, but um, yeah, I mean, this is only speculation and that I, I think that he has the potential to be that. Um, I, I think kind of conversely talking about some of the smaller guys that won't have a bigger segment, uh, that being, uh, I forget, you know, Mike Miles Jr. And then uh, no, do we want to do a boom bus rating for Omax? Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's run by that. My yeah, bad. And- um, I'll explain it really quickly. Uh, So for those of you that haven't listened to any of our draft profiles or are just now finding us after the draft is over, the boom bust rating that we do for our draft prospects over here at the Mainstream Mass Podcast is essentially a volatility rating. Uh, So we're uh, essentially um, diagnosing how much this prospect um, either could potentially, you know, blossom into a a star, um, but also at the other end, you know, fizzle out into, you know, an a guy who's not in the NBA anymore or an undrafted player, um, you know, or, you know, a guy who is barely seeing minutes, something like that. Right. So that's essentially what it is. It's not basic. It's not really say, saying whether they will be a boomer or bust or not uh, more as if it's, you know, rating how much uh, their potential is to, to kind of go on either ends of those spectrum. So I think for Omax, if we're rating it out of 10 here, um, I would probably put him at maybe um I, I would probably say about a six and a half. That that's exactly probably. what I was going six yeah. or seven. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, so I mean there there you go. Uh, me and Jaron have actually matched on one of those. We're usually like <laughs> one or two off, but that one we're we're right on target with because I think he does have some good, you know, sort of upwinding potential, but I also don't think his floor is absolutely horrendous. You know, I said about a Haywood Highsmith, but I mean, look, that's still a guy that can come and contribute, especially at least during the regular season. So um, I think at, you know, baseline level, he's at least going to be that for a few years. And, you know, maybe if that's all he ever is in his career, he'll probably, you know, fizzle out of the league when his athleticism leaves him. But I mean, you know, I I still do think he could be a lot more than that, especially with, you know, how high character a guy he is. But yeah, Jaron, if you want to go ahead and, uh, you know, talk about Mike Miles Jr. These aren't going to be full-fledged profiles, of course. And, you know, um, University of Alabama, Birmingham guard uh, Jordan Walker. Um, then, you know, the floor is yours. Uh, just kind of talk about what they could maybe bring to the Mavericks Summer League team a little bit. And, you know, if you think that these guys, uh, you know, specifically in Walker's case where he doesn't have as much guarantee of being on the roster as Miles does with that two-way spot, um, you know, let us know if you think that these could be guys that could actually – uh, you know, come in and, uh, you know, ha- pr- relieve some sort of, uh, you know, tertiary ball handling for the Mavericks. If, if anybody gets hurt or, um, you know, they, they're 
they actually end up, you know, making the team or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mike Miles, I'll touch up on him first because we have the most information on him. Um, I mean, according to NBA draft room, uh, I mean, he was ranked the seventh best guard in this you know, draft, which out of 12 isn't the best. But I mean, he's he's rated higher than Jalen Pickett uh, and Marquise Noel, which, of course, Jalen Pickett was drafted with a second overall pick. I forget where he went, um, but he was drafted. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's going to bring more of a leadership role to that point guard spot. Um, he did play for the U19 uh, FIBA team, uh, Team USA. And I, I mean, from what I can see, I don't think he started or anything like that. But coming off the bench, I mean, this is a guy that uh, is going to give you some leadership characteristics. Uh, you know, he's not going to do everything perfectly. Um, more of kind of a stretch guard uh, in the sense that, you know, he's a smaller guy, but he can stretch the floor a little bit with his shot. Uh, I, I think there's more consistency problems there than anything is just, you know, can he develop more of a consistent outside shot? Um, I mean, he only stands at six foot one, so kind of smaller in today's NBA. Um, but yeah, I mean, people the characteristics six two, uh, six two, six foot one. Yeah. I, I mean, still smaller in today's <laughs> NBA, but um, but still, I mean, you know, this is a guy who, you know, characteristics aside, I, I mean, it, it's more about uh, what can he do intangibly, uh, or what can he do to find an identity throughout this league. Uh, which you know, I, I'm not saying he can't, but uh, I mean, at TCU, he kind of did a little bit of everything. Uh, including leadership. And that's kind of his big sort of calling card was his uh, leadership alone. And, you know, at TCU, he led them, I think, to the round of 32 or Sweet 16, two years in a row, I think. Um, I could be wrong with that, but uh, I do know that he led TCU to a pretty good season this last season. Um, And, you know, he was kind of that uh, sort of older guy on that squad. He wasn't even older. I think he was a sophomore or junior, but sort of older guy throughout the other sort of guys on that roster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he, just more leadership characteristics, a good playmaker. He's looking to get his teammates involved. Um, offensively, has a good outside shot and good playmaking abilities. And defensively, I think he just has a good average all-around defensive game whenever he's guarding one through twos. He's he's a stronger guard, uh, which, you know, does have his upside. He can finish. Uh, he he looks for contact. I do know that. You know, he's a very he has strong good athleticism finisher. for somebody his size. Yeah, for six I mean, foot I would, two, six foot yeah. one. You know, he does have good. good I wouldn't say uh, it's finishing. like elite. You know, you're not. He's definitely not projecting as like uh, you know, like a Russell Westbrook or anything like that at the point guard position. But uh, he's he's a guy that can go up there and finish when need be. Uh, can do it. Threw down a few dunks last year. Um, hit yeah. Like I, I think you said, Jaron. Like you said, he's a really good. You know, sound basketball players you know, good, pretty solid defense is his main uh, drawing point is definitely his playmaking and, you know, his ability to set others up, you know, in the pick and roll, stuff like that. His ability to um, get better, I think, is really going to be conducive to his shot creation, his ability to get to his own spots um, and, and and finish over guys. That's obviously something where, you know, he kind of had to lead TCU in that aspect, but it's also, you know, part of the reason that he wasn't, you know, higher up on draft boards um, was just he's he's not as dynamic as, you know, a lot of the other guys in this class at, um, you know, being able to, you know, sort of furbish his own his own shot creation and, you know, make tough shots um, over defenders, and, you know, in the mid range area as well from three, something that is almost, you know, quintessential to your being, uh, you know, as a small guard coming out of college trying to make the NBA. So. You know, he, he has some markers that he's definitely going to have to hit. Um, he's definitely not bad at, you know, his shot creation or anything like that. There's just a lot of things that he'll uh, he'll have to fine tune and, um, you know, be better than than average at to, to really hit at the next level. But he could definitely be a role player that uh, that helps. And, 
depending on how much he develops, I'd be interested to see if he got any minutes with the Mavericks this year, uh, next year, because he'll be with the Legends a lot. Um, but at the same time, um, this is a guy that you know is one of the more highly coveted undrafted players. Um, if, if the Mavericks do have a sort of lack of ball handling there that they maybe didn't even plan for as they, you know, prepare the offseason and, you know, some of the offseason moves that have already been made, of course, with the draft, you know, have been hyper-focused on defense. Uh, if they neglect ball handling altogether, especially playmaking, something that, you know, necessarily isn't Jaden Hardy's strong suit, even though he is a pretty good ball handler, um, you know, and shot creator. Uh, Mike Miles is a guy that, you know, in the same sort of sense of that kind of Mike McKinley Wright did last year, I think could step in um, and, and get a few minutes for the Mavericks this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, at his very peak, he could be a guy that, you know, produces some sort of um, some sort of role uh, in the NBA. But, you know, absolutely. I think that, you know, he can come in uh, and, you know, produce some sort of leadership. I think it'll be fun seeing him come off the bench. Uh, You know, he's not going to play necessarily the most minutes, of course, being on a two way, but seeing him come off the bench or even at the legend uh, or with the legends, I should say. Uh, you know, seeing him sort of, I guess, I guess, like sort of dictate his way, getting teammates involved. It's going to be fun to watch. I think that he's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, if he does get a role in the NBA, I think it'll be fun to watch him kind of become a lob threat or a playmaking lob threat, uh, because I think he can be one of the better guys at doing that. But uh, to touch up on Jordan, Jordan uh, what's his name? Jordan, Jordan, uh, Walker. Jordan Walker a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just more of a I don't know much about him, but I do know, you know, Coming from the conference that he's from, I mean, me and you, Will, we're going to uh, UNT in the fall, and they are, of course, Conference USA. So we got very accustomed to Conference USA basketball sort of over the month of March, um, especially with the late run that uh, Florida Atlantic went on in that March Madness tournament. And I I mean, I can only say this, uh, being the, I think he was the 21 or 22 National Player of the Year, or 21 and 22 National Player of the Year uh, in Conference USA. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, doesn't have the most size on him, doesn't have the best intangibles, probably isn't the best basketball player in the court, but he's going to come out there. He's going to work hard. Um, and, you know, I think he's only five foot 11 or six foot somewhere around there. Uh, and, you know, he's a, a very good finisher from the sort of small highlight reel that I saw a good finisher with size, uh, a very good outside shot. His alpha, his offensive game is very well-rounded as it should be for a smaller guard. Um, you know, I think the intangibles side is going to be kind of his size. How much does that limit him? Yeah. Uh, especially defensively. How much is he limited there? Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of similar to McKinley, right? Where, uh, I guess I don't really know what, uh, his defense kind of looks yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, I, I know Wright, he's a faster, a faster individual, yeah. but I, I don't know if he's as stout as McKinley, Wright. He, he definitely looked like he was a little more like thinner framed. Um, uh, McKinley Wright's like, a, he's a big five foot 11, you know, he's exactly. exactly. He's got, a, he's got a plus six foot wingspan, like well above plus six foot. I think it's, you know, around that like six, two, six, three area. I don't know for sure, but he also, is like almost like 190. He's got a lot of muscle on him. Um, so you know, Jordan Walker, I think I saw he was more around like 170 or so. Um, you know, obviously he's in a weaker conference. So that carryover to the NBA, I think, is obviously a lot more questionable. Had he been doing some of the things that he did in conference USA, uh, I'd say a power five, even at his size, I think it would have probably have you know been shed upon a, a brighter light especially when a guy like Marquis Noel who you know is only who's three inches shorter than that he's only five foot eight um you know was was a guy that was one of the first undrafted free agents off the board to the Raptors on that two-way deal or whatever so um you know it, it's going to be interesting with Walker I mean he's 
kind of like a five foot 11 Steph Curry almost in terms of how he played in conference USA last year. But, and by no means am I comparing, comparing him to that, like actually as a player, but just in terms of what you'd be looking at, um, you know, in terms of the intangibles there, if, if you go under on a screen, he can punish you, but um, you know, the, seeing how he'll hold up defensively uh, as, as well as if, you know, he'll even be able to kind of, you know, see over guys from a playmaking perspective and still be able to do that as an, as, you know, at, at the same effective rate as he did in college um, and, and seeing how effective the scoring will be against NBA, you know, level talent and size is going to be the big thing for him. But, you know, he, he performed well enough in a, um, you know, a, a lower classification, you know, division one conference last year to where he's earned himself a shot in the NBA. And I mean, it, it'll kind of just go as far as the, uh, the shorter shooting and shot creation take him because that's gonna, that's, you know, the main, focal point of his game at his size um you know otherwise having touched up on those guys you know especially mike miles jr um who who's go you know on a two-way contract for the mavericks um is there any you know other sort of stuff that you want to touch up on the pod i know we kind of talked about the draft interviews or the post-draft interviews with lively and omax at the uh post-draft press conference the mavericks had the other day um throughout the podcast you know sort of referencing different stuff but um, it was more lighthearted in nature, and you know, both of those guys, like I said, were very good interviewees, and uh, they, you know, they stuck to the script of what the PR team was probably wanting them to say the whole time. Um, there, there were a few jokes for sure, though. Omax, um, you know, saying you know that he was nine or ten when Jason Kidd went to the finals, um, and then Derek Lively, um, his, his facial expression after Omax said he could speak five languages. Um, was pretty fun. You know, Omax can speak Haitian, Spanish, uh, French, and English, I believe. So and Korean, Korean. Yeah, that was. I think that was the last one. Oh, geez, I didn't even hear that one. Yeah, it was five. Uh, I I thought it was four. Uh, if I I, be- I, I believe it was five. I thought it was like five at first, or like somebody said five on accident. I don't know. I'll have to look it up, but Korean is wild. I don't, I gotta, I gotta fact check that one. I know he's a big anime guy, which I do. I do know he's a big anime guy, but you know, yeah, if he can speak Korean too, that's, I mean, that that's outside of any, you know, sort of realm that I would have projected for him, you know, just given where he's come from and his background. So that would be very impressive if he could do that as well. Cause he would have had to literally learn that on his own, but, um, you know, he played in uh, – he was at the NBA Mexico City Academy, so that's kind of where he learned Spanish and stuff. And then, um, you know, Haitian, and uh, I think that that's kind of conducive to, you know, his um, you know, his heritage and stuff. And, you know, I think the the French was uh, kind of just a product of him growing up in uh, Montreal or the uh, surrounding area or whatever it was in Canada. And, you know, obviously English is uh, – you know, you basically have to learn that if you're going to the NBA. And he, he played college at the States, so – I mean, it's it's really impressive to have to you know have to have gone through that much adaptability in your life and still, you know, be as high character, high charisma as a guy as he is. He's very, you know, beloved already, having been here for a few days. And I mean, just the the way the kid talks, you know, I talk, I know we talked about the the Christian Braun quote and stuff, but I mean, you you just you you got to love him from from that perspective and uh, how hard of a worker he seems like he's poised to be and how much he's willing to. Uh, fit with inside a role that's kind of my two cents on on him from that perspective if you want to talk about Derek Lively a little bit more we could definitely um, do that in terms of how he fared uh, during the interview but I thought Nico and, and Jay Kidd they you know it was, they were pretty rudimentary in the interview um, maybe 
we can kind of talk about how Nico said that they would both be good compliments to Kyrie um, if Kyrie were to return, but that wasn't, I don't think he was really hinting at too much there. Um, the whole Jersey predicament at the end was all, was interesting because uh, it got announced that Jer- Derek Lively is going to wear number two, which if you guys have obviously don't know Kyrie Irving wore last year, you know, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, he's going to be switching back to his sort of a, uh, a11 even a uh, little promotion thing that he has going on going to switch back to the number 11 uh to to honor you know his ancestors things of that nature you guys can find more about it, out about that on his instagram and stuff like that but uh honestly i'm i'm kind of hyped i i don't know why but i feel like 11 kind of suits him in the uh in a mavs uniform a little bit more it gives me some monte vibes so i mean i'm excited for that and uh tim hardaway jr will uh be switching back to 10 you know if he if he is to come back and all take all these with a grain of salt of course i'm not saying that Kyrie and tim are definitively coming back uh because of these uh jersey things because it was agreed upon after the brooklyn trade you know if they were to come back but tim hardaway jr will be going back to 10 now that Kyrie's at 11 to honor his dad but um you know with that being said i i don't know how much credence i'm going to give to the jerseys being a surefire um sort of tell all that the you know these that Kyrie and Tim are going to be back for sure especially Tim but I would say it definitely has increased the probability um of both of them staying uh by quite a bit and in Tim's case I think it went from almost he was likely to not be a Maverick to like more like 60 40 maybe even 50 50 he's going to be a Maverick at this point yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, the the sort of Jersey news caught everyone, maybe not off guard, but definitely caught some eyes. And, uh, you know, I listening to the interview, I kind of already expected it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very cool. You know, as you said, Kyrie definitely looks a lot better in a number 11 uniform, in my opinion. And Derek Lively, the second wearing number two is only fitting DL2. I think that's a very cool sort of nickname or uh, sort of uh, congested name, whatever it is um and yeah of course omax wearing 18 uh, i mean these are all very like cool numbers 18 though definitely looks weird in a mavericks uniform i will not lie to you uh i just don't think we have seen very many 18s come up in the dallas mavericks sort of history realm you die baba um yeah you yeah there you go <laughs> um but i mean outside of that i really don't have anything Derek lively again for a 19 year old i mean he's younger than me uh for him to be so poised and so sort of uh, i guess mature in a way uh, definitely caught me off guard. He has very little, um, you know, sort of, I, I guess, very, very little childish techniques. I mean, he's a, he's a good, like, sort of guy who's going to come into the room and sort of make a light out of the out of nothing. But, I mean, outside of that, I really got nothing else to say. No, I mean, yeah, but they're definitely, like, very two high-character guys. And, you know, is even though Derek Lively is obviously uh, a guy that's very mature for his age, you know, he still talked about how he – is is a guy that can, you know, come in and, you know, shed a bright light upon the room and still joke around and stuff. And that was very indicative in those interviews. And, you know, it just only upped the ante in terms of, you know, how they'll be able to, um, you know, be able to contribute to the Mavericks next year. And, you know, these are not necessarily two guys that are penciled in as starters, but they talked, you know, a, a bit about roles uh, with Nico and Jay Kidd at dinner, you know, the night before. I know they had all went out. They talked about that. Um and, you know, as far as Derek Lively goes, um, obviously, you know, this kind of goes without saying we can kind of cover his role real quick now that he's actually on the Mavericks. Um, but it's all going to be conducive to what the Mavericks do, you know, in the coming days. Right. 
if they go out and actually pull off this trade with DeAndre Ayton, then yeah, Derek Lively's definitely going to be relegated to being the the backup big for you know the ensuing next couple of years. But if the Mavericks you know take more of the bullpen approach from center, he could definitely end up starting. And you know, depending on how steadfast he is in his development, you know, maybe be a surefire starter. Um, you know, maybe while you know at start there may be certain matchups that they choose to play him against. You know, certain matchups they don't. But you know, Jaron and I are going to you know, be releasing these podcasts simultaneously. Um, the, the off season podcasts, um, we're, we're, we're just going to kind of do a free agency rumor mill, uh, sort of news roundup. So you guys will hear all our thoughts on the Deandre Aiden thing, but I, I think Derek lively lively right now in terms of his the roster was finalized today would be forced to start. Uh, I would say that he's probably the best big on the team. Maybe Rashawn Holmes in certain matchups. I mean, maybe he's like the, the open night starter, but I think eventually lively wins that spot over, if I'm just projecting, um, even if he's maybe not ready for it because of, you know, some of the, um, you know, aspects of his game that he's going to need to improve on, you know, just in terms of the rawness offensively, being able to set screens, you know, be a little bit more dynamic as to not just be a, a strict rim runner. Um, but um, the defensive upside right now that he has and the potential, you know, shooting as well as the lob threat um, and his ability to, you know, be very feisty on, on putbacks and tenacious and, you know, rebounding and uh, be a guy that can be a lob threat in the dunker spot. I mean, stuff like that, that, that kind of, um, you know, puts him in a position as highly touted as he was getting selected, you know, number 12 overall to, to be a guy that I think could start. Now he will have some woes and it may not be necessarily um, the best thing for a team in the Mavericks position as competitive as they are in certain games, but certain games I could definitely see him blossom. So, I think his role with the Mavericks as of right now is definitely going to be a starter. Um, but that is obviously subject to change depending on if the Mavericks want another big man. We'll talk more tonight about if we agree with the Mavericks approach to that and what we think they should do in regards to going to get more wings or going to get more bigs. But um, I would say it's about a 50, 50 chance, just kind of depending on what the Mavericks do with free agency. If they want to get a, you know, surefire sort of stopgap center for the next couple of years to, you know, bring lively up to speed and before they're, you know, able to to decide between the two, then they, they could do that. Um, or they could, you know, just add maybe one more veteran center consolidate, you know, maybe McGee let Dwight go round out the rotation a little bit more. Uh, so you get a little bit of a certain pop from different guys and, you know, let lively spearhead it. But, but I think between the everybody right now, especially given his youth, I think he would be um, the current uh, starter day one right now for the Mavericks. Do you have any objections to that Jaren? No, absolutely not. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, basically what you said about both those guys, is, I think is going to be true. So, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Well, we'll be back to cover that free agency rumor news mill uh, sort of roundup. We were hoping to do it uh, right after this podcast, but we're going to have to wait a few hours and release this one tonight, unfortunately, just due to some uh, pre-existing circumstances. But nonetheless, we appreciate you guys for listening this far in the episode. Make sure to follow us at Twitter at Mainstream214. We're trying to build our following back up over there, um, trying to get um, you guys to you know really promote the Twitter, get it back up and popping like it was. We'd really appreciate it if you give us a follow over there. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't done so already. Comment down below. Will Derek Lively the second be starting day one opening night for the Mavericks or not? Comment down below. Also, if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast platform, make sure to. Um, give us a good review. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and turn on those post notices so you guys can be notified when we drop podcasts. Turn, turn them on on Twitter as well. Um, but, you know, we'd really appreciate any feedback that you guys could give us and 
you know, following our podcast uh, would mean the world. So whatever listening platform you're on, uh, we're on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, almost anything as well. So uh, just get at us on there. Um, we're welcoming to any feedback, even if it, you know, be negative. So um, barring that, uh, we appreciate you guys for listening to the podcast. It's been a good one. And we will catch you guys back later tonight. And we'll release both of these. Happy birthday, Grimace.